Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. doing today. Welcome to ACF Church. My name is Josh and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we also want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live. Can we just give them a hand? We have a lot of deployed military and um, if, uh, if you're new this morning, if it's your first time visiting us, welcome. We are so glad to have you guys here this morning. Um, if you didn't know, Pastor Brian is actually in Kenya this morning. Yeah, no big deal. Um, he is there. In fact, I'm going to bet that he's watching live right now. Hi, Brian. Can we welcome Brian? Thank you, Brian. We love you. So excited for the things that are going on over there. Um, so what Brian is doing is he actually got to go with Compassion International. Um, Compassion came to a bunch of churches in the Alaska area and said, hey, we want to potentially partner with you guys, maybe even do some church planting over in Kenya. So Pastor Brian's over there seeing how ACF and how Compassion International can partner together potentially to um, expand our reach um, and expand the gospel into Kenya. So he'll be back next week, um, but that's where he is this morning. So we are in week seven of a seven-week series uh, called All the Feels, and we've been walking through... Um, emotional health, and we've been using a book for our platform called emotional, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, and so today is the last day of this series, and so if you have not been here, if it's your first Sunday with us, or maybe you just recently started coming to ACF Church, I would love to encourage you to download our ACF Church app and go back and watch our series on this. You can also go to our website, acfak.org, and, and watch this series or listen to this series, because I believe I truly believe with my heart that this series has kind of been a game changer for us. This series, I believe, as we walk through learning how to become emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, will have a lasting impact on years to come, on us individually, and I believe that on us as ACF Church. I think years down the road, we can look to this series as being one of those times, one of those moments when ACF took a step forward, when ACF made a change in who we are, and because it's so important that we learn um, how to become emotionally healthy and how to become spiritually healthy, and we're going to talk about why this morning. But before we jump into that, I just want to kind of quickly recap on where we've been over the last six weeks. So we started out the series learning that our emotions are from God. 
Our emotions are from God, and they actually connect us to God. That our emotions are not things to be stuffed down. Our emotions aren't things just to be ignored or, or to thrown away or to be controlled by. But that when we can learn how to experience our emotions in a healthy way, the way God intended us to experience them, that that actually will begin to connect us to a God who has emotion. And we read that in scripture. And so it's so important to know where our emotions come from. Uh, week two, we talked about how emotional health, true emotional health only fully comes when, when we receive a new, true self from Jesus. That, as the Bible says, that we all have this broken, sinful nature. And that until we shed that, until we kill that, actually, the Bible says that we kill that old nature and we receive this new nature, this new man that, that Christ has for us, that that's when we can walk into full and complete emotional health, is when we receive that new, true self from Christ in week three, we talked about how our sins have a cascading effect on the people around us. That my sin doesn't just affect me, my sin doesn't just affect my immediate circle around me, but that in actuality, my sins could affect generations to come. That second and third and fourth generations could, could be affected by my sins from today. But the good news is that God's grace is exceedingly greater, disproportionately greater than our sins. And that is good news. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And then after that, we talked about how the emotionally healthy person meets these things that Pete Scazzaro calls the dark night of the soul. That we all have dark nights of the soul in our lives. That no one will ever escape them. But an emotionally healthy person actually runs towards these dark nights of the soul. Not, not seeks them out, not looks for them, but when we can see them coming, Emotionally healthy people run towards them and see them as opportunities for growth, opportunities for evangelism, opportunities to know God more and to know ourselves more. And that's how we view these dark nights of the souls when you're emotionally healthy. And then um, we also talked about how uh, emotionally health uh, comes from when I can empty myself of everything, then I can become everything that God created me to be. I can become everything that God created me to be when I finally start to get rid of myself in, in, in what I think I should be, in, in my pride and my arrogance and these things. When I can learn to start to shed that is when I can learn to become all that Christ um, created me to be. And then last week we talked about um, how when we rest, that shows that we trust God, that we are not in control of our lives. We think we're in control, but we're not. Um, but when we rest, we say, God, you are in control, and I'm going to rest, and I'm going to trust you. So today, as we, as we land this plane, I just want to begin kind of landing this plane with a simple question. With a simple question. That question is this, why? Why do I really have to worry about my emotional health? What's it all about? Right? Is my emotional health just about eh, me feeling better about myself? Is emotional health, like, just so I can be happy in life? Like, Josh, I've been, you know, living my life, and why do I need to change things? I'm, I'm happy how I am. I, I like who I am. I, I feel like I got a pretty good life. What's the big deal? Why do I really have to do some work, get in the nitty-gritty on my emotions? No, not my emotions. I can, th those, those are doing just fine. Stuffed way down over there, right? We don't, we don't talk about that. Why now? Well, we're going to open up to Matthew 22. So if you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible, man, we have some here for you. Um, you can, they're just right in the back of the room. Even right now, you can get up, go grab one. Um, put your name in it. That's your Bible. We, we would love to give that to you. Um, we also have our ACF Church app that has a Bible on it. So if you'd like to just download that right now on your phone, you can do that. But why emotional health? I want to start with this thought and this understanding of what emotional health actually is. Because we've got to know what it looks like. How do we know if we've achieved it? How do we know if, if we're beginning to become emotionally healthy? I would say this. Emotional maturity is learning to love well. Emotional maturity is learning to love well. In Matthew 22, I want to set this scene up. Jesus, he's been out teaching. He's been out preaching. And he gets cornered by two groups of people. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees are uh, the aristocrats of the day. They're political leaders. Uh, they have some um, religious influence as well. Uh, they're, they're big in the community. And these Sadducees are not real happy with Jesus because he's teaching people things like, blessed are the poor. That it's, it's not about, like, if you're, if you're wealthy, you're better than everybody else. That was the belief, and Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not true. And so these Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus, and, and they, they kind of get him cornered, and, and they're asking him these questions, and they're like, oh, if he can't answer this, we're going to ask him this question. If he can't answer it, then we can go, oh, you don't know? See, you're not God. That, that's what they're trying to trick Jesus on. <laughs> Except the problem is they ask him the dumbest question, like, ever, right? Like, I, I don't know if you've ever like tried to like challenge someone's intellect and you're like I know I got this thing and you say it and you ask it and you you make a statement or you ask a question and you're like eh, I didn't go how I planned it in my mind it's a little different how it ended up turning out that's what happened first of all with these Sadducees the question they asked Jesus which is ridiculous they're like okay Jesus we're gonna, we're gonna trick you um, let's say a woman marries a man and they don't have kids and then her husband dies and then she marries his brother and then they don't have kids and he dies and then, and then she marries his other brother and they don't have kids and he dies. Who is she married to in the afterlife? Huh? Huh? Tell me that, Jesus. I mean, he just looks at him and nails him to the wall. He's like, really, you're asking me this question? What, what you've shown me is you don't know the scriptures and you don't know God. And they go running away with their tail tucked between their legs. And then you have the Pharisees, they're watching this happen, and they're like, ah, Sadducees, what are you thinking? And they get together, and, and there's a lawyer amongst them, right? And so they're like, send the lawyer! He'll trick Jesus. And so we're going to pick that up in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that, this, uh, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? First of all, I want to say, not a terrible question, right? Like, if, especially then when, when, man, law was everything to the Jewish community. It's 613 laws. And they, they didn't want to break a single one. But, so this, this lawyer's like, Jesus, which is the greatest one? See, but we read right before that he asked this question to test Jesus. He didn't really want the answer. He just wanted to know what Jesus was going to say so we can nail him to the wall with something else. Oh, you know, no other gods before me. So what you're saying is no big deal if we murder, huh? Like, he's, he's trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus, as he always does, not only answers the question, but he, he, he takes it to the next level. and just, He blows their mind. So listen to this. Which is the greatest law? 
And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. I love how Jesus jumps into, and the second is like it. He doesn't allow time for a breath. He doesn't allow time for a comment, for an interjection. I don't know if you do this with your kids, right? Do I have to take a bath tonight? Yes, you have to take a bath tonight, and do your homework, and brush your teeth, right? Just save all the questions, and we'll get down to it. The kids and hygiene, they don't like it. I don't know. But he, Jesus does this. He, like, he doesn't even give, give a break, a pause, because really what Jesus is showing us here is what he's about to tell us, they cannot be separated. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are inseparable. And the Pharisees had been doing the first one in their minds great and not the second one at all. And then... This last statement, Jesus takes it to a whole new level. He, he puts it so beyond their reach. And he blows their minds with this comment. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. See, Jesus knew who he was talking to. He knew he was talking to the Pharisees. They had the law memorized. They knew it inside out and backwards. The law was their life. They had memorized the Torah the first five books of the Bible, these guys had it memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I have the first five books of the memorized too, of the Bible memorized too. But they had the words inside memorized as well, but you know, semantics. They had this memorized. They knew the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, the prophets, and, and their lives were built on this. This was Jewish culture, this was Jewish understanding that there was nothing more important than Jewish law and Jewish prophets. And Jesus sums their entire lives, their entire belief system into one statement. Love God and love your neighbor. And for them, this was revolutionary. This changed everything. You see, emotional maturity is learning to love well. You see, emotional maturity, it is for you, but it is not about you. It is for you, but it is not about you. You see, there's a problem with loving well. There's a problem that we have with loving well. I love this statement. It's in the, it's in the book. It says, love in practice Listen to this. Love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in our dreams. I mean, isn't this so true? Who, who's married in the room? Anybody married in the room? Okay. Who's, who'd like to maybe be married someday in the room? Okay. Who's never been married before, ever in your whole life in the room? Hope everyone's hands are up, right? Like, hey, it's a boy and you're married, right? Committed. No, we've all not been married. I hope we've all not been married. Right, but we've all maybe thought about one day being married, what that would look like, right? As a young, naive, ignorant person, like, oh, it'll be perfect, right? It'll be beautiful. We'll never argue. We'll never fight, right? 
It'll be happily ever after. Oh, sure, you're telling me, married couple, that there'll be struggles and it'll be tough, but you obviously don't love your spouse the way I love my fiancé. And maybe, yeah, we'll argue over dinner once and where do you want to go? I don't know, where do you want to go? Argument, right? <laughs> right we, we have this fantasy in our minds of what love is, and then when it comes to reality and you get married, it's a harsh and dreadful thing. <laughs> Not marriage, but compared, living it out day to day, compared to the fantasy that we had, it becomes harsh and dreadful, and that's why so many marriages are struggling and not lasting today, because we have this fantasy, what it was supposed to be in reality of what it has become. Right? Having children. It's going to fulfill me. It's going to be amazing. We'll, we'll lay in bed together and snuggle, and they'll just lay there and not do anything. It'll be awesome. And yeah, of course, they'll cry their babies, but it's going to be like a cute cry. Right? <laughs> It'll be amazing, and we have kids, and it's a harsh and dreadful thing <laughs> compared to our fantasy, compared to the dream, and this is why it's so hard to love. Well, and this is not just marriage. This is not just kids. Several years ago, I used to live in, in Los Angeles, and I worked for an organization called Youth with a Mission, and, and I, I lived as a missionary. I worked as a missionary, and my main mission field was inner city L.A., and I remember when I started doing this, um, I, I connected with an organization called the Union Rescue Mission. Phenomenal organization. I mean, they had like Bank of America had a wing in their facility, and they would teach homeless people or, or those just really needing help how to handle money and manage money. And so if they would go do a job and get paid for it, they could go to the Union Rescue Mission and bring their money into the Bank of America wing there and keep it there. Uh, they had, you know, free dental, free health, all this stuff. And of course, they also had their soup kitchen. And so I'm, I'm young, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, and I got a group of people, and we're going to go, and we're going to work in the soup kitchen, we're going to feed the homeless today. And we're in the kitchen, we got to get there super early, we're going to feed a lot of people. Like, the doors open up, and about 500 men are going to come through, and then when they're done, like, 500 more women and children are going to come through, and they, that's just for lunch, Right, so we're, we're there super early, we're working in the kitchen, and I just remember like cutting vegetables and making soup, and I am, I am psyched, I'm jazzed, this is going to be amazing, we're doing this, and, and I start having these, these fantasies in my mind, like, man, these, these people, they're going to be like, oh, thank you for the food, oh, God bless you, oh, yes, thank you so much, right, I got the soundtrack in my mind, right, Enrique Iglesias, I can be your hero, baby, right, <laughs> Come on, it's early 2000s, okay? Don't, don't you judge me. And I, in my mind, I have how this is going to be. It's going to be amazing. And we put hours of prep into this, and then the doors open up, and we're sitting there, and we're putting food on people's plates as they're coming through, and all of a sudden, I start hearing, like, really? Again with this? Huh. They ate that yesterday. I don't know. You know, I'm putting food and like I put a roll on someone's um, plate and they're like, no, I want two. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. There's a lot. I'm not moving until I get two. And the guy behind him is like, you better move. I'm going to make you move. And I'm like, you guys are getting lunch. You should be thanking me. What are you doing? Of course, this wasn't everybody, but the reality in, the, in, in my fantasy came head to head with each other. And they weren't meeting. And all of a sudden, I kind of start getting a little jaded. 
You see, it's hard to love well, and this is why it's hard to love well, is because our worlds revolve around us. It is all about me. And when I'm sitting here and I'm getting married, it's like, yes, the two shall become one. Which one? Me, right? (laughs) It becomes all about us, and my world is all about me. And when we do that, we cannot love well. We cannot love well when our world becomes about us. That is why your spiritual maturity and your emotional maturity is not about you. It is not about, it is for you, but it is not about you. In fact, your story is not about you. Your ups, your downs, your victories, your triumphs, your defeats, is not about you. It's for you. But God is doing something so much bigger than your world. That he's been writing a story since the beginning. A story of salvation, a story of redemption, a story of freedom. And now that story has has become complete and now it's continuing to tell that story. And God uses our worlds and our stories to tell his story, but it is not our story. It It is not about us. It is for us, but it is not about us. And it becomes impossible to love well when it is always about us. You see, even, even when it comes to our lives, we begin to, it, we make it so much about us that we try to make other people look like us, right? Like, I will love you as long as you look the way I want you to look, right? Like, maybe you're engaged and it's like, oh, I love everything about him except for this, but don't worry, I'm going to change that once we get married, Right, oh, my neighbor, like, yeah, I love them well as long as they start to do the things that I want them to do. Like, I'm, I'm going to mow their yard, I'm going to shovel their driveway, and then they will, in return, come with me to church. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to come. They said no. Well, I'm off to the next neighbor to mow their lawn and shovel their driveway. You can figure it out yourself, buddy. Right, because they didn't become who I wanted them to become. Our kids, man, don't we do that. Like, you will become who I want you to become. You will root for the Seahawks, right? You will cheer for this team. You will love this sport. My son, he likes the Seahawks, but he hates the 49ers, so that's a win, okay? Um, but he, we do this with our kids. You are going to get these grades. You will go to college. Like, you are going to become. Now, it's good to have aspirations and stuff for kids, but we, we, we make it so much about us that we want everything to become what and who we want it to be. We want it to become what and who we want it to be. I love this quote. This is in the book. It says, we are all born narcissists. And that learning to grow out of your narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Wonder what the spiritual journey is about? It's about crawling out of our narcissism. And stop making everything about us. About me. It's, it's really interesting to me that as a people, as a nation, we really pride ourselves on diversity, right? Like we are a diverse culture, we are a diverse nation, and that's a good thing. That, that is a good thing. Our God is diverse in, in what he's created and it's beautiful. But in our claims of loving diversity, truly all we seem to really want is uniformity. And it's, it's my uniformity. It's uniformity that looks like me, revolves around me. 
Again, I want you to look and act like this, and then we're okay and I can love you well. I want you to see a current event and feel and react the same way I do. That way we're okay and, and I can love you well. Right? I want you to parent the same way I parent. I want you to, you know, and we start doing these things like, oh, yes, let's be diverse and accept for think and act and behave exactly like I do so I can love you well. See, our, our emotional maturity, our spiritual maturity is about learning to love well. And learning to love well is becoming like Jesus. When we learn to love well, we begin to become like Jesus. John 13, starting in verse 34, says this. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have perfect theology. Right? If you can exegete Romans chapter 12 to perfection. Right? If you are five-point Calvinist. If you are Arminian beliefs. Right? If you... Man, we fill the blank in with so many things. This is how people will know that I'm a Christian is by how much scripture I've memorized. That's what he says. And again, those things aren't bad. But when we fill the blank with this is how you, they will know you're my disciples, it is if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another, this is how they will know you are my disciples. See, it, it, is, it is for us, but it is not about us. You see, it is from God, and it is about God. It's for us, not about us, but it is from God, and it is about God. Listen to what Jesus says right here. He says, a new commandment I give to you is that you love one another just as I loved you. Right? He, he paved the way. He showed us the way. This is how you do it, just like I did it. You see, loving well is becoming like Jesus I want to ask you something. I want, I, want to, I want to read a list here. I want you to say, what kind of Christian does this sound like? What kind of Christian does this sound like? Someone who is diligent and absolutely committed to having God be Lord of their life. Um, somebody who memorizes scripture. Someone who prays constantly. Um, someone who tithes on all of their income and on top of that gives money to the poor. Somebody who never misses church. Somebody who evangelizes, who would say this sounds like a really good Christian. This is not a trick question, people. Like, <laughs> this is a really good Christian, right? Like, this is, this is someone who we would want to be like, right? Th these, are, these are disciplines in my life that I, I am working on implementing. Like, yes, I, I want to memorize more scripture. That's a good thing. I want to have God the Lord of my life. But if this person does not love others well, then all of this doesn't matter. Do you see that? That if we do not love others well, this doesn't matter. What I just read to you was a list of who the Pharisees were. That they strive to make God Lord of their life. They memorize scripture, right? They, they prayed five times a day, right? They, they tithed on everything, including their spices. I don't know what that looks like. It's cumin, right? The plate's going by, some oregano. Like, I don't know, but that's what they did. They tithed on everything. They gave to the poor. They evangelized, yet they did not 
love well. And this was the chastisement of Jesus in their lives. That they were whitewashed tombs, looking good on the outside, but dead on the inside. Because they did not love well. They did not love like Jesus. You see, when it comes down to it, I think there's something, if we understand it helps us love well better, or not love well at all, and that is this. It is an understanding between earned righteousness and received righteousness. Earned righteousness versus received righteousness. You see, if we've said yes to Jesus, we have righteousness, which means that we stand right before a just and holy God. That when you stand before God, you are made right, you are made whole, you are made pure, you are made perfect before God. But the Pharisees saw that as something that they had earned because of their memorizing of scripture, their, their tithing on everything, and all the stuff that they did, they saw it as something that they had earned. And when you earn righteousness, you are better than other people. Right? We are not on the same playing field if you can earn your righteousness. See, and that's the great and beautiful story about Jesus, is that he did not receive his righteousness. He earned it. He had it. He was never out of righteousness before God. And yet, being above, he came down to serve. See, but the Pharisees saw it as like, no, I've, I've earned this. I've earned this right. I am, I am amazing before God. There's 613 laws. I've never broken one in their minds at least. But when we understand that righteousness is only something to be received, it cannot be earned, that no acts, no, no, nothing, no, no scripture memorization, giving, nothing you can do can earn it. It can only be received. All of a sudden we have a different perspective and Jesus talks about this perspective in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and they're by the temple and he gets their attention. He's like, guys, look, look at this. Look right here. There's two men. They're both praying. The first one is a Pharisee, and he's praying before God. And he has this attitude of earned righteousness. And he says, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector over here. Tax collectors were scum of the earth. Tax collectors were seen as, as, as traitors, right? They were Jews who worked for Rome. They were hated. They were the sinner of sinners, right? Like, who's the worst person? The tax collector. And, and, and this, this Pharisee's like, thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I'm not a cheater. I've never cheated anybody out of their money. I've never swindled anybody. I've never lied to anybody. Good things. It's, it's good. But thank you that I am not like this. I've never done that. I've never done this. I've done, I've done. I, 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 I. This has become about me. And then Jesus says, now... Look at this tax collector. He's so broken from his sin. He's so broken at what he's become. He can't even raise his eyes to heaven. He looks at the ground. He just beats his chest. God, have mercy. He's not trying to earn anything. He knows it's impossible. And he sees that and it changes his view on himself, his world, and his God. And all of a sudden, it's not about him. 
well, God, I, I know I cheated some people, but I helped an old lady across the street the other day, so that counts, right? Some points. He's not trying to earn anything. He's receiving from God the righteousness that God has for him. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, because of him, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you know that? It's, it is all about God. It is from God, and it's about God. Listen to this. Jesus has become your wisdom. He's become your righteousness. He's become your sanctification, and he's become your redemption. He's it. He is all of it. Now go and walk in that. Go and become that. Not, not become your righteousness, but walk in the fact that you've been made righteous. You've been sanctified. You've been, you have wisdom. You've been redeemed, and it's all about Jesus. Now go and be like Jesus. You see, there is no righteousness apart from God. See, but we become Jesus when we learn how to apply the truths that we believe to our lives. You see, there's, there's a kind of a disconnect, I think, for so many of us, and, and I struggle with this too. It's like, yeah, I totally believe that this is true. This, this is in Scripture and it's truth, but you know, to live it out, that's tough, Right? It's a harsh and dreadful thing when I try to actually apply this to my life compared to what I think it should look like. And what I mean by that is this. Examples of emotional, these are examples of emotional maturity. When I can be quick to hear and slow to speak, right? Scripture says be quick to hear and slow to speak. Not quick to speak and slow to hear. We've got that mixed up right now. Can I actually apply this to my life? When I do, I start becoming like Jesus? Can I be angry and not sin? Can I direct my anger at things worthy to be angry at? Right? Like Brian was saying a couple weeks ago. Like, I've never met anybody who got upset at their friend because their friend was really angry at the fact that the sex trade industry happens in our own city, in our own town, in downtown Anchorage. No one's been like, bro, you're, you're a little too angry over that. Right? It's, it's being angry and not sinning. How can I watch my heart above all things? When I can, that's a sign of emotional maturity, which is becoming like Jesus. Can I speak the truth in love? <laughs> can I speak the truth in love? Like right now, we can speak the truth. Right? Here's some truth for you. Bam! I'm off to bed. Mike out. Right. I gave you truth. Now, can we, can we speak? Can we have conversation with people and speak truth but do it in in love right can i be a true peacemaker man the world needs some peacemakers right now can i mourn well can i forgive well can i rid myself of bitterness and rage and envy these are things that we know that we believe we say we believe can we can start to apply them to our lives we start to become like jesus you see learning to love well is is becoming like Jesus. And emotional health is about learning to love well. And learning to love well is becoming like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus results in sacrificing for others. 
Becoming like Jesus results in sacrificing for others. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, for the brothers. This is how we know what love is. Jesus demonstrated it. He laid down his life, and now we ought to do the same. Jesus sacrificed, we should sacrifice. Sacrifice for others. You see, you see, it is for you, but it is not about you. It is from God, and it's about God. And at the end of the day, it is for others. See, it is for you. It is about your journey. It is about so that you can learn to to live out a life of righteousness, peace, and joy, which Paul calls the kingdom of God. But at the end of the day, it is also as much, if not even more, it's for others. If I can live out this life of righteousness, peace, and joy in my life, that is to free me so I can sacrifice for others. See, this spiritual journey, this emotional health is, it's about others. And we've done something in our modern church that I think we really need to correct. And when I say modern church, I'm not talking about worship style. Do you have lights? Do you have a haze machine? Do you, are you online? That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is this idea of modern church that has traded sacrifice for politeness. We've traded sacrifice for politeness. We think that if I'm polite enough then I'm living out the kingdom of God. Then I'm being Jesus to you. Like, I smiled at you while you were checking out my groceries, right? I was at cars, and I was checking out, and, and there's the young lady or, or gentleman checking out my groceries, and I smiled at them. I might even say, God bless, have a great day, and I walked out, and I think evangelism just happened right there, right? That person's gonna go home, and they're gonna be like, I've never been smiled at before. That was amazing, what was that? I gotta find, I gotta, I gotta have what that person has. I gotta look up some churches in, around this place. They smiled at me. They held the door open for me. And, and we think that we're becoming like Jesus when we're polite to people. I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything. Being the kingdom. Yeah. Right, we've, we've made it about about just being polite at the end of the day, right? And we will go as far as, man, I hate my boss. He is a jerk, piles work on me, right? Comes in on Friday at the last minute, gives me a project for the weekend, or doesn't give me the projects I deserve. But when he comes into my office, you know what I do? I smile at him, even though I hate him. Being the gospel, being like Jesus. Have a great weekend. Hope you crash on your four-wheeler. <laughs> right? And, and we do this, and we think, we think we're being the gospel. I've done this, man. I have done this. And I'm embarrassed by it, even in my own life. I remember years ago, I, my wife and I built our first house, and for some reason, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember my neighbor just, like, hated me. And so what did I do? Hated him back. Right? And I remember I'd, I'd walk to work and I would walk by his house and I'd be like, hey, have a great day. Eh. Right? Like this guy was going to live and die in this house. So I just pray that dying would come sooner than later. 
And I look, I'm like, really? This is who I am? This is what I've become? But I'm smiling at him and waving like, yeah, you're going to want to know Jesus because of me. It's embarrassing to say, but that's what I thought. And I think as the church, this is what we become, at least in our Western culture. It's about being polite. Have you ever assumed the worst about somebody? And instead of being emotionally mature, followed up with conversation, you just continue to assume the worst, but then smiled and waved at them. Jesus tells a story in Scripture. You'll find it in several places, Luke chapter 10. And, and I would argue this could be the most famous story in all Scripture. Whether you've read the Bible or not, whether you've been to church or not, you've probably heard this story before. But it's a story about a Jewish man who goes on a journey. While he's on his journey, while he's traveling on his journey, uh, he, he's just, he gets jumped, he gets beaten up, he gets robbed, left for dead. Like, not just beaten up, but like left for dead on the streets. And sometime later, uh, another Jewish man comes along, and, and you see, the Jews, they looked after each other. They were in occupied Rome, and so they, they were countrymen. They took care of each other. But this Jewish... Um, influencer, right, this, this, this man who's known in the community, this man who had the, the, the means necessary to take care of this bloodied and dying man in the street, he comes to him and he's just like, um, I, church is about to start, I got to go, right, I got, I got a meeting, uh, there will be somebody coming along, I promise, um, I'll pray for you, right, hashtag pray for the guy on the street. Right, And he goes on his way. And then another Jewish leader comes along. And this one, a, a spiritual religious leader of the day. Surely he'd help this man on the ground. And, and he comes up and he gets to the guy and he's like, ah, oh, that's a lot of blood. These shoes are really white. Ah, yeah. I'm sure someone else will come along, right? I'm sure someone will be here. Someone will take care of you. I got to go. I, I, I got to go. I'll pray for you, right? Don't worry. I already posted on my Facebook. We're all praying, right? He goes on his way. And then comes this, who's known as the Samaritan. See, Samaritans and Jews, they eh, did not get along. The Jews hated the Samaritans. It was religious bigotry, it was racism, it was everything at its worst. Jews saw Samaritans as subhuman, as subhuman. And the Samaritan had zero reason to take care of this Jewish man. Probably knowing that this Jewish man had spoken evil things to maybe some family members, maybe even to him. I mean, their paths are crossing. Maybe their paths had crossed before and this Jewish man had been completely rude to him, treated him as subhuman. But this Samaritan, something in his life had taught him to love well. And he gets off his donkey and he, he bandages up this Jewish man. He puts him on the donkey and he takes him, gets to a hotel and he puts him in the hotel and he goes to the hotel owner. He's like, hey, look, I'm gonna pay for him to stay here. And if like he needs to stay longer, I'll pay more, like, if he, if he, you know, I'll pay for four days, and if he stays for seven, don't kick him out at four, I'll, I'll pay for three more when I come back through, right? Like, knowing that he's never going to get repaid, 
Right, it cost him something. He sacrificed not only his pride and his dignity by helping someone who probably hated him in return, but it cost him financial, money, where it really you know, gets real for us. And, 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 and really with no thanks. Like, it's not like he's going to come back through and be like, hey, remember me? I'm, I'm the guy. You are unconscious, but I took care of you. You should say thank you. I'll expect a card, right? No, he just, he pays for it. He goes on his way. He goes on his way. Sacrifice. Becoming like Jesus is learning how to sacrifice for other you guys. And that's what this is about. That's what our emotional health is about. That's what our spiritual health is about. It's about learning how to make this not about ourselves, to crawl out of our narcissism so that we can become like Jesus, so that we can sacrifice for others. And that is what loving well is. And can you imagine, can you imagine what our community would look like, what our family units would look like, what our jobs and our workplaces would look like if we as ACF churches, we as the body of Christ strive to love others well by becoming like Jesus, by sacrificing for others, by understanding that it is not about us, that it is by God, it is from God, and it's for others. That is what the world is desperately waiting for out of the church it just takes moments, takes steps forward. Does your relationship with Jesus result in you dealing with people in an emotionally mature way? Your husband, your wife, your kids, your coworkers, do you deal with them in emotionally mature ways? Or is it back to all about me? I'm going to end with this quote from the book. As emotionally mature Christian adults, we recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. See, it's what the Pharisees had missed. The essence of true spirituality is learning to love like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that we've loved well when we've been completely selfish. Forgive us for thinking we've loved well and we've made it all about us. We've been afraid to sacrifice. We're resistant, God, to laying our life down for our brothers. But God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. God, that we'd be drawn, Lord, to love well, and by loving well, becoming like you. And when we become like you, that we would learn to sacrifice for others, whether that be in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in recreation, our community, God, that us individually and us corporately would begin to make steps forward in this. God, and as we do, that we would discover you in new and beautiful ways, and that our faith would go deep in you, Christ. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be the catalyst, the enabler, the everything for this, the wisdom, the righteousness, the redemption, the salvation, would all be you. 
Lord, and that we could receive that righteousness and walk in your footsteps. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Today we have a really cool opportunity. I love it when we get the opportunity to do this. Is we're going to take uh, steps forward for people in, in getting baptized. And so, amen. I love that. We should all have that in our hearts. But if you would like to be baptized, see, at ACF, we believe that baptism is, is the next step after salvation, that we say yes to Jesus and then we get baptized, because that's what we read in Scripture. Believe and be baptized. And so if you've ever said yes to Jesus before and you've never taken that step of baptism, man, today could be your day. I would encourage you, in just a moment, we're going to stand up, we're going to worship, and as we do that, if you would like to be baptized or if you've already been scheduled to be baptized, you can get up and go right out these doors. There's people in the lobby who are ready to talk to you. We have everything you need. We got t-shirts that you get to keep. We got shorts, towels, hair dryers, brushes, everything to make yourself look beautiful after you get in the water gentlemen. So, so don't let anything stand in your way of taking a step of obedience today. I would encourage you in that. So if you guys would, let's go ahead. Let's stand up as we continue in worship to our God.